and welcome to Sounding Out Autumn. I'm Anna. And I'm Emma. And in this episode, we're going to be covering a topic that has been top of Anna's list since we started Sounding Out Horsham. It's foraging. Yes, I am so excited about this episode and you're quite right, Emma. I have wanted to do this for a long time because I think it's fascinating. There's so much out in nature that you can use for various reasons, eat and drink and for medicinal purposes. It's very nutritious often and it's all for free. And also being Swedish, it's something that I've grown up with. Everyone is foraging. It's berries in the summer and fungi in the autumn. But I find that here in the UK, not very many people are doing it. But apparently that's changing. Yeah, I think foraging has been growing in interest in the UK over the last few years. Um, I don't think it's as entrenched in our culture, perhaps, as it is in Sweden. I thought it might be useful to have a definition for anyone who isn't familiar with the term. Uh, So according to the Cambridge Dictionary, the definition of foraging is to go from place to place searching for things that you can eat or use. Yes, and uh, we've done a bit of foraging ourselves to find the right guest for this episode. And we are very pleased to have discovered James Plum. James is a self-taught forager who spends his days rooting out edible treasures from around Horsham. Um, Today he's going to take us around one of his favourite spots. We're in Leechpool Woods. Um, We're going to find out more. Yes, and this episode does come with a disclaimer. So... We, we will be talking about plants, fungi and fruits and berries that you can find here in the woods. But it is, of course, really, really important that you, you do proper research before eating anything. Um, and uh, James, he has built up incredible knowledge, but he's not an advisor. So if you feel inspired to go out, you have to check before you eat anything. But let's not linger. Let's listen to James himself. Hi James, welcome to Sounding Out Horsham. Um, before we go off foraging with you, I just wanted to know a bit about how you got into foraging. Um, so, I guess I've just always been an inquisitive person. I like to learn uh, as much as I possibly can. Um, I started seeing plants and also fungi on the way home from work a lot and just wondered what they were and why I didn't actually know anything about them. So I started to buy reference books uh, to get into it. Um, so now I'm just all self-taught and I've just learned as I went. I think that's the best for anybody. It's just to not be overwhelmed by it and just keep learning as you go. So how long have you been doing this? Seven years. Fully, um, almost full time now. I easily do a full working week in the woods now, just looking around, seeing what there is. So you go every, every day, you're going? Every single day. Every day. That's it. Is it the woods or where, where do you go? Well, um, so I have my, uh, I've got an Instagram page for my sins, but I wanted to show people on there what you can find just in and around Horsham because there's so much diversity around. There are fungi all around the town, even if I'm not using them because uh, of pollution and other things. And also wild plants you just find in random places. So yeah, I have no real favorite spots, I guess, but I, I do love around Horsham. There's plenty of Woodland, uh, I guess St. Leonard's Forest would be another one of my favourite places. Yeah, and the nature is quite varied. If you go into Leechpool or Owl Beach or St. Leonard's, yeah, you um, really so get Leechpool and Owl Beach are right on my doorstep, so it's somewhere where I just go through, even if I'm on the way to town, I'll take the long way and come through. Uh, you just have to go and find out for yourself. And I want to know what are the legalities of foraging? I mean, can you just pick anything or what can and can't you do? Yeah, so there's a law, which is the Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981. Um, and in that, 
there are some defined terms, but you just basically don't need to take anything up by its root. So if you see a plant, take its leaves, allow it to grow back. Um, but there are some other things as well, as you need to make sure you have permission of the landowner. You don't have to get permission from the council, for instance, to go pick some flowers, but you need to make sure that you're not removing it and destroying an area. Um, also responsible foragers won't take more than half of a plant or an area like don't take all the mushrooms you find allow things to grow back and there are certain flowers that are protected as well I presume. there are a few in yeah March. again you'll find them in the same act in the law there's many amendments to it there are quite a lot of plants that are protected under law so you can't remove them also fungi too but also you shouldn't plant certain plants because they're invasive species yeah and you can't plant them in the wild even though i see them everywhere um himalayan balsam i see it all over the rivers all around i see skunk cabbage are all around yeah um even giant hogweed all around they're meant to remove it wherever it's located but i say i've seen it multiple places yeah it's sometimes an unsurmountable task to remove all very hard to remove yeah <laughs> so obviously you take uh, your your foraging you're taking things to consume or there's a purpose to, to everything you take what are some of the things that you make or you know, produce from the things you foraged? Um, so I forage for a number of reasons. Um, it's not just for food, also for health as well. Some plants and, and fungi have medicinal properties. There's many things you can use a plant for, the roots, the buds, the stem, the leaves, everything. And same with mushrooms, you can dry them and use them later. All kinds of things like stock, soups, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I make my own wines, my own jams, pickles, chutneys cordial uh, fruit levers you can even use them for cordage and seasonings you can use uh, hogweed seeds as a substitute um, for other things as well so does this mean that you don't have to food shop anymore then or no I, I use it practically I could probably survive off it for a long time but it's very difficult to be self-sufficient in general um, you'd have to save a lot of fatty things for like proteins and fats like nuts and seeds, you'd have to take a lot from nature at certain times of year to save them for other times of year where you don't have them. And obviously I don't hunt for pigeons and squirrels and things. <laughs> so there's, there's no meat going on there. So yes, I do use supermarkets, but I use it as well as. So have you noticed since you've been foraging a reduction in your food bill or is it just an addition? Um, it's an addition, yeah. I, I do. I don't tend to buy mushrooms from the supermarkets because I find them all the time and um, I do use a lot more greens from the wilderness that I wouldn't normally eat but it's, it's more for me it's just I try new flavours and things I've never tried before. What's a favourite from some of the different categories so what's your favourite green what's the favourite mushroom or is it difficult to pick? Yes it's very <laughs> difficult to pick um, so just yesterday I found a porcini mushroom in the woods um, most people know what porcini is or sep boletus edulis so it's a very delicious mushroom. It's a choice mushroom. But just earlier, we found the chicken in the woods. This has been growing everywhere. So I don't go out looking for something in particular, but if I find something, I'm going to use it, of course. Um, I would prefer to have porcinis all year round, but they only grow at certain times of year, so I can't be picky when I find them. So oyster mushroom, that's another mushroom that a lot of people know from supermarkets sure. and uh, Asian uh, cuisine. And you said that oyster mushrooms are everywhere here in the UK. Yes, they are, yeah. There's many different kinds, that's right. They can be quite difficult to actually pick out species because they do hybridise, they they do mix with each other. 
but most of the common ones are Pleurotus ostriatus, which is the grey oyster mushroom. But as I say, it can be quite difficult to tell exactly what species it is. There is no real daily lookalikes except for angel wings, um, but they don't really tend to grow down here. I can never say this, but it's Pleurocybella porygens, there you go, the angel wings. They don't really tend to have a stem or a stipe on them. They just grow directly out of the tree and just flatten out. They're very, very white. But yeah, oyster, oyster mushrooms grow all year round, all different seasons, they use them regularly. But we have to come back to the fact that you are self-taught and yes. you, you know so much, it seems. Yes. How do you do? How have you taught yourself everything that you know? Um, when I speak to different people just in the woods, because a lot of people ask me what I'm doing, they're always so amazed what i found. And yeah, they, they don't really understand how I know it, but you just have to learn one thing at a time. Obviously, never eat something that you're not 100% sure on. You just have to learn one species at a time, or at least learn the families so you know what you're looking for. Look at deadly lookalikes, etc. Don't rush. It took me a long time to actually eat something from the wild. But there is a method, <clears throat> right, for plants, for instance, you have to see the flower, is that...? Yeah, I think I think or... for an, someone who's new to, to foraging, um, just take a picture of it. You can use, like, an app if you want to, but it, apps are just tools. You shouldn't rely on it solely. You should take what you've learned from the app and do your own research. I think the best time to learn about plants is the spring and summer because you can see them flowering and that helps you to, to identify what it is and also maybe the families as well that they grow in. You see that a lot of similar plants will have all the same shape flower. And have you ever eaten anything that is dangerous? No, because again, like you just got to be 100% sure what you're eating. If you're unsure, always get a second or third opinion. Take several books out and have a look at them before you even touch it. Um, obviously some things could be deadly dangerous if you're not careful but say like today I've only found one poisonous mushroom in the entirety of this woods so yeah so you should I mean are there examples of things that where there is one species that is very tasty and edible but uh, any common mix-ups here in the UK that you definitely um so I bought you the other day an amanita to have a look at so the one I bought you is the amanita rubescens and that is completely edible when it's cooked but there are a lot of fungi in that family that are very dangerous like the destroying angel and then the death cap amanita phalloides the death cap is responsible for like all of half of the deaths of all people that poison themselves with mushrooms in the mm. uk it doesn't happen very often i was gonna say how many <laughs> no it doesn't happen very <laughs> often like, pretty i can't remember when the last go, one but... was but it was ages ago i think a lot of people in the uk are, are kind of scared anyway so they're a bit mycophobic of mushrooms the half of the ones i see have been kicked over for instance but they have very identical, like key features, so you would know what it was if you knew enough about mushrooms to even look at it. Do you want to say a few more words about the lookalikes that you can find and the, the dangers and possibly also the toxins? Yeah, I think it's obviously important to know what you're putting in your mouth when, before you eat it, because there are, especially with fungi, there's a few dangerous lookalikes. Like I just went and found this. This is Paxillus involuntaris, the brown roll rim. It doesn't look very nice anyway, so that'll put me off straight away. But This it, kind of looks like an upside-down mm. mushroom, actually. The, the, the mm. uh, tops kind of... Yeah, so <coughs> the gills out. here, they run down the stem or the stipe. That's called being decurrent. That's not necessarily an indicator that it's toxic. But there is no real hard and fast rules for fungi. You just have to learn them one at a time. As I said before, the Amanita 
family has some dangerous ones in it, but there are a few that are edible. This one is just dangerous, so it's important to know what you're looking for. If I was to scan this with my phone and say, oh, this is, what's this? My phone might tell me it's something edible, but mm. I know for a fact that it's definitely not. Um, this one as well, the Goosefoot. This is Chenopodium album, or the Fat Hen. Um, this is related to quinoa, which is Chenopodium quinoa, but in massive quantities, it does have oxalic acid in it, um, which could potentially life-threatening almost. It's the same chemical that's in spinach, but also in bananas. But if you eat a banana, no one's gonna tell you that's dangerous, but it's such in small quantities in banana that no one would ever say anything anyway. You would need about, well, the minimum is, is five grams of oxalic acid that someone has died from. Same, same as apples, you know, they, they could kill you in large quantities as well if you were to eat the cores. Mm. You know, so you just have everything in smaller quantities and you'll be fine. Cooking does destroy a lot of things. Like it does destroy the oxalic acid that's in this. You mentioned the apps because there are apps for identifying fungi and yep. plants that have become more and more popular and that you should not, you should always double check and triple check. Yeah, I think that they're helpful for first timers because, you know, it helps people to maybe pick a family out of like fungi, for instance. But fungi can massively vary. Like this at the moment looks kind of rusty and brown and horrible yeah. but it could look much brighter in color this orange mushroom could look again much lighter in color they, they're very very variable so it's just important to pick out the key features of them the borcini here i've had this in the fridge overnight it's already darkened it can vary wildly but i know for a fact that that's what that is it's just handy to to pick out the key features of something before you actually course, yeah. do it and, and get a second opinion of someone who knows already mm. so if we're going to come back to the plants and the vegetables and the leafy things mm -hmm. um, do you use them to replace vegetables or do you use them as salad or I use them uh, I, I use them as well as so you were talking the other day about the the goose foot yeah, yeah. that's something I've eaten <laughs> yeah that's it so that's that's part of the amaranth family um, and you could use it in place of spinach, for instance. Yeah. Um, we were talking about oxalic acid the other day. Um, oxalic acid isn't necessarily good for you if you have it in large quantities, but you know, if you use it small amount, then it's fine. Um, this does have a little bit more oxalic acid in it than spinach, but small amounts is fine. Everything like big variety would be better. So you don't eat things every day. So. Yeah. There place, particular places that you um, that you should avoid picking things from side of the road does mm. it make any difference or yeah i guess even with things like blackberries people tell you not to pick the ones that are too low down because the dog might have weed there etc that's probably some good advice but you know i'm not going to not pick a mushroom because it's on the ground because the dog might have weed there i think just get try and get away from where people regularly walk and then you, you'd be okay but um yeah side of the roads is not good because you've got a lot of pollution also farmers fields because you don't know what they sprayed on the fields mm. um and then like even just run off from the fields as well because things can go through the, the ground of course yeah so <clears throat> if um could you say what's the most unusual or, or <clears throat> interesting thing that you found foraging here in horsham something really surprising that you found um i don't know I'm, i've seen so much around anyway that i'm kind of a bit desensitized to it just now we found this bright orange mushroom and most people don't see it and yeah it's just right there on like literally mm -hmm. next to the path and how can people not see it but yeah, there it is i like to have a little look around and then sometimes i'm just in awe of what there is 
just down the hill where he's sitting, there was this big polo cipher, Maltese and Arta sitting there. So me and my partner, we actually built a little house for it okay. <laughs> out, out of sticks so people didn't kick it over and then watched it grow. But oh. yeah. <laughs> and what, what was that that you just described? It's called a Podo Cipher Multisonata. Okay. I think there might be a little bit of it left, but it's dead pretty much. So would you say foraging, you know, you, you've built a little house for... It, it seems like <laughs> a very respect... You know, it's, it's a, having respect for what's growing. You mentioned that, you know, certain things have to grow with others and you won't pick them at certain times. Yeah, so, so I, I don't sit there and obviously plant something and watch it grow and water it every day. I just happen to come across it. So I will help to spread spores of mushrooms by carrying them around in reusable bags. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing, isn't it, with mm -hmm. mushrooms, that why many of them you can't just grow them like you can with many plants because there's a symbiosis with the trees. They, it's, yeah. it's, it's all a partnership between a tree and <laughs> partnerships, perhaps not the right well, word. Well, yes. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Mushrooms, sorry, fungi will grow with either with trees or plants they are mycorrhizal so they have a symbiotic relationship with their parent plant or their host plant as it were and um, they help share nutrients and water and also even just these trees here they all have connections with each other not through their roots but through the the fungi in the ground yeah that's fascinating yes and um, so parent trees which have dropped these these are oaks they drop acorns and then they'll have a little sapling so they help com communicate, but also the tree will also help feed the little sapling and help it grow. Um, they also help communicate with each other, so they all spread out evenly. They're not too close to each other. Um, and they can also warn each other about pests and produce chemicals to, to ward off yeah. the pests as well. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, also, you've got all these dead and dry, dying trees here. They're also saprobic, so they help break down all the nutrients that are stored in the mm. tree and help give it back to the ground to then also feed everything else around it. Yeah. It's not just trees because there are fungi that are mycorrhizal with things like heather. If you have fungi in your garden, it isn't necessarily a bad thing because it can actually help your plants to grow bigger and stronger. Mm. So yeah, I say that people in the UK are a bit, a bit mycophobic, so they just kick them over, but that's only the fruiting part. It does grow up through the ground. Nature is just incredible, isn't it? And I think, do you, have you learnt more about nature through foraging or would you say it's, you knew it already? Yeah, I definitely have learnt so much and I'm always learning. You, that's the thing, you always learn every day something new. Um, I've watched a lot of documentaries, I've got a lot of books, um, I speak to a lot of people. So yeah, you always learn something new. Um, I tried this year a different way of growing plants in my garden, my plants garden. Um, and that was just to let it go wild, like add extra plants that you wouldn't normally see in there. Things like weeds aren't necessarily a bad thing because they help bring in beneficial insects that help the plants to grow as well. And so you were saying that uh, one thing that you can do also as a forager is collect seeds? Yes. Well, that seems tricky. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, a lot of things are quite easy to collect seeds from. They're only going to come up when they're ready anyway. There we go. So this is um, nettle seeds. Stinging nettle seeds. Oh, oh wow. And they're really good for you. Loads of vitamins, loads of minerals, and they give you a little bit of buzz as well. They're like very energetic for you. So what do you do with them? Do you use them just to add to cooking or? Mm, well, I have used them in cooking, but I think that destroys a lot of the nutrients. So raw is better because you can just add okay. them to things. Just that, sprinkle it on yeah, food maybe. Or... They're, not, they're not a choice thing, I think. Like, like onion seeds you can collect and they're yeah. very nice. You can use them in cooking. 
um, nigella you can use in, in cooking as well. Which nigella, is, yeah, that's Indian, yeah. isn't it? Can you find that Ni here? Yeah, nigella, yeah, you can find it everywhere. everywhere yeah. Um, All right. Your nigella seeds you can you can use as onion seeds because they're, they're kind of very yeah, similar. Yeah, onion seeds. Yeah, and and use them in place of. Um, I brought you the the carrot seeds and they, they smell very like coriander, so you can use them in place of that too. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, just, it's just the flavours that they give off. They're very mm. useful. I wouldn't say that nettle seeds are the best thing as a flavouring because they taste very like grassy or earthy. It's more the benefits that they have for you. But you know stinging nettles, I was saying the other day that that's, I eat stinging nettles. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> but there's also, again, a Swedish recipe in spring, nettle soup. Nettle soup, yes. yeah. With hard-boiled I've, I've seen that here as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the spring will make nettle soup. Um, that's the best, best time of the year to collect nettles. They're nice and fresh, they just come out through the ground, of course. But uh, it's also because we have wild garlic here as well. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a lot of different types of alliums, the onion family and they can be mixed with it so it goes really well together all right so if you want to get started if you're curious about foraging and want to get started how what, what is a good way um i'd say there's a lot of social media groups you can join um so definitely get on one of those and you'll get some ideas from that uh, there's lots of people talking about different subjects that are currently around they'll talk about what mushrooms are around what plants are around so that's that's kind of a good thing to do there's also plenty and plenty of books about foraging um, I've got lots of reference books on the different types of flowers and fungi that are around. It's very hard for some, to, to pick a specific thing because you're going to see so much that you're just not expecting to see. Just take a picture of it and get a second or third opinion, I think. I've got uh, plenty of books I'm trying to drag in my bag. Okay. Um, there's a UK author, unfortunately, he died last year, called Roger Phillips. He does these great reference books. Um, and this is about flowers. Mm -hmm. So this one is very good because rather than illustrations they're actual pictures yeah um, and they're laid out in season order all right so it's a yeah, very that's... good book to have it's also got key terms in the front but if you don't know what something is you can flick to spring summer autumn and find out kind of where you should be looking and then yeah judging on the flower anyway rather than color order or something like that but i have got books that are laid out in color order too which is also helpful so i just think that having lots of different reference books is very helpful and what's the name of that book is called it's called wildflowers of britain by roger phillips roger phillips also does one on mushrooms it's a very good book too and he's got ones on trees and even conservatory plants garden plants all that kind of stuff so it's very good. And you take that out with you? Well, no, I wouldn't normally because it's too big and bulky to take yeah. out with me. I don't actually take any books with them out with me. I, I've got my phone. If, okay. I need, if I need to take a picture of something, I've got my little foraging bag so I can take a sample of something if I'm not sure. Uh, nothing's too far away for me that I can't go back and get it again. So you were saying that when you, when you go out, you, you don't go searching for something specific. It's rather you find what you find and that's, that's how you do it, right? Well, not necessarily. Um, Mushrooms, fungi, yes, because it has to have the right conditions. But there are things that are there every year. Plants can be annual, biannual, you know, perennial. So I know where they are. They're not going to not move all of a sudden. But I'm going to also find stuff I didn't know was there. So yes, I can go out looking for nettle seeds, no problem, because I'm going to find them everywhere. But I'm not necessarily going to find a porcini every time I go out looking for it. So. I would kind of base my dinner and what I found that day. Mm. 
So um, you go foraging every day. Um, it's a huge part of your life. But do you have any plans to develop it into anything bigger? Yes. Um, at the moment, I'm just on Instagram. I didn't really know what I was going to do with all this information. So I got myself a social media account for my sins. Uh, <laughs> and i'm just on that currently but i'm looking into building my website and then helping other people to learn as well by teaching them taking them out on courses etc so it's just about how i how i come about doing that being self-employed etc um it's gonna be difficult i know but i've got passion for it so yeah that sounds fantastic i think the interest is big and it's probably growing for various reasons of yes. what's happening in society and also ecology and also the economic situation yeah definitely you can save yourself some money even though i spend more money probably making stuff but um it's just interesting what you can add to your diet and uh yeah if you need to save money it's also helpful um so i know that the plants you find they're not necessarily useful for food and drink purposes you mentioned they have medicinal properties um tell us about some of the Um, things that you found and what how you use them to for various ailments yeah so with plants and fungi they've got chemicals in them Um, a lot of pharmaceuticals are made from chemicals from different plants you just have to isolate them so it's not always easy to do in a home setting but of course all kinds of different societies all over the world they've always used plants and fungi for different ailments so things like this dandelion honey is actually a diuretic so it helps you to flush out unwanted toxins in your body. It's really good for your kidneys. It can cleanse your insides and as a result, cleanse your skin. Um, I've got a nephew, he's got issues with his skin and it helps clear it up. And myself used to have eczema and it's pretty much cleared up. The other day, I bought you the Plantago and when I stung myself and it, it instantly helps because it does actually have antihistamines in it. So go back to the, the dandelion honey. Yes. How do you make the dandelion honey? You talk about it being honey, but it's not actual honey, is it? You can use honey if you want to, um, but it's just basically dandelion heads, which you boil down in water with sugar and also a bit of citric acid, so lemons, um, and it condenses into this nice runny... It looks like honey. It's like a, it's like a syrup. It, it looks like a clear just honey. Like honey. Yeah, so you're saying that you collect quite a number of dandelion You don't need a massive amount, no. no? But, um, can I have a, a sniff? <laughs> you can have a taste if you want. It's very nice. The French call it pisson lit, um, or wet the bed, because <laughs> it, it is the diuretic. So, ooh. So yeah, that's really nice. So, it tastes so good. it has got sugar in it, mm. of course. But you could you could replace the sugar with honey. Very it does easily. taste like a honey, a sort of blossom honey, or yeah. Most flowers that aren't toxic, you can do this with as well. Yeah. So you could flavour it. You know, I wouldn't want to collect a whole bunch of violets, but you could do it with violets, I guess. Yeah. Violets go kind of a blue colour once you boil them, which is very nice. Violets are so good. Yeah, that's it. But um, dandelions, I only would use them when they are in season and there's obviously hundreds of them. Yeah. Mm. And they spread so easily, so I'm not using it all up. All right, so now we're we're walking around in Leechpool Woods. We've just... We've just got the parking right behind us and you've <laughs> already fa- found something. Yes. What's so, this? So you'll see that this one here is very obvious. This is Pluteus savinus, mm-hmm. the deer shield mushroom, part of the shield family. There's plenty of them if you look further over here and here. What do you do with those? You can eat them. They're just not very desirable. But these are everywhere at the moment. There are hundreds and hundreds of them through the woods. In the distance, there's more over there. Just through here, there's even more coming up. 
Just describe what they look like. Mm. The cap is very brown. It has an umbo or kind of a nipple in the middle. They start off kind of more conical, so rounded, but then they flatten out over time. They so are, those are safe to eat, you're saying? They are, yeah, but <clears throat> you want to stay away from anything with white gills because yeah. they can be some deadly look-alikes. Yeah. In, in general, this one's fine, but it's a wood-rotting mushroom. You probably can't see here, but it does go down into the ground there. It, it rather grows a wood or rotting vegetation. There you go, look. It's attached straight to that piece of that little stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's plenty of them around here. You went off five minutes and you immediately came back with that uh, <laughs> uh, fungus that you said have, has lots of interesting properties and that you can find everywhere. Yes. Tell us what you're holding in your hands and we're going to try to explain it. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, Phomatopsis betulina. Um, it's a type of... It's called, it's, called, it's called polypore. So it has doesn't have gills on the bottom of it. Rather than gills, it has really microscopic pores. You might be able to see them like just about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it smells. It smells a bit medicine-y, but it, it's been used for thousands of years as a medicinal mushroom. So it has lots of different properties to it. It's antiviral, anti-tumor. It's antiseptic. It stop your bleeding. It's styptic. Um, you can use it as a plaster. It's got many many uses for it. And this is the type that grows on tree stems, right? So this on- specifically just grows on birch trees dead or dying birch trees it'll actually take the tree down or it'll carry it'll carry on just rotting the, the tree down to nothing there's several different mushrooms that do this but this is one of them and how do you get so you listed all the medicinal properties it's got how how would you get it from its raw state now to to being used or do you, or do you just rub it on your skin you said mm-hmm. about a plaster what yep what, how so you, uh... I, if i had a, a small knife i could cut the edge there I could probably do it with my fingernails, but you cut the edge and you can peel it back. The bottom layer acts as a plaster. It's better than a plaster because it's antiseptic and it's antifungal and it will stop you bleeding as well. Plasters don't do that, but this does. But yeah, if you wanted to, you could turn it into a tea. It's, anti, it's antiviral and it's also got antibiotics in it as well. Mm. This is a Scots pine. So mm-hmm. the Sparacis crisper, the cauliflower fungus, just under that. I've seen it there before. So that cauliflower fungus is what? huge. It looks like a football. Yeah, I saw it about a month ago. Even in the hot weather, there's also enough moisture under the ground for it to be fine. <clears throat> they call it saprobic or sapotrophic. Um, it's like parasitic on the tree. So it was growing in the roots. It's a medicinal fungus as well. And it's interesting, <laughs> you were saying um, that the certain fungus only grow on certain trees so yeah. that's so the cauliflower fungus you'll only find with the scots pine is that um it? mostly scots pine but it does grow with other trees as well sorry i just got distracted by this it's a little beef steak fungus just there look oh yes that's what it looks like yeah but they get really big very slow growing it just looks like a beef steak when you cut into it nearly well there are some similarities yeah yeah um they when you when you cut them as well they also Looks like they bleed a little bit. They're called beef steak fungus because they have like the appearance of kind of the flesh of beef, but mm. um, they don't taste anything like beef. In fact, they taste a bit acidic or almost fruity. Um, I'm just only taking you this way because there's a big chicken in the woods over there. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, look at yeah. those. So this mushroom here that's going again on the, the stump of this tree here, mm-hmm. which is another chestnut. 
Um, this is Latoporus sulfurius, or chicken of the woods. So it's called the sulfur shelf because it's got the orangey and then yellow color underneath. It's very orange at the moment. This can be a quite difficult mushroom to get in good condition because it's either too young and too soggy or it's too old and too, too firm and tough, a bit like, a bit woody maybe. In between is perfect. It can upset people's stomachs, but I've had it many times and it hasn't upset my stomach. Just cook it thoroughly, no problem. Yeah, it has these concentric rings of bands of orange, different color orange all the way through the top. And the underside is like bright yellow. Um, it has microscopic or very small pores that are just there. And that's where you'll find that they spore from. Um, you said it's called chicken of the woods. Chicken of the woods. Yeah. And do you think is that because of the color, or does it taste a bit like chicken? Or so you wouldn't necessarily associate an orange mushroom with chicken, but <laughs> <laughs> it does taste like fried chicken. Yes. Um, mm. Some people call it like KFC of the woods or something like that <laughs> because it does taste like chicken. Yeah, very very strong flavor of chicken, but also there's a little bit of a like oyster mushrooms kind of a fishy kind of taste sometimes in the young mm. specimens um i've breaded this before and fried it and it's lovely but it's not for everybody so there's been plenty of it around at the moment i've had too much of it this year normally you see them early spring and then maybe again late late autumn mm. but yeah i need to find other mushrooms now <laughs> yeah do you eat mushrooms every day pretty much yeah <laughs> also that's a raspberry right there look just sitting here. Raspberries are a little bit different to blackberries. They, they're much more pink when they come out. Yeah. You know, you see a, a blackberry and it's it's very bright red when it comes out. But this is definitely a raspberry. Yeah, it is a little raspberry. Yeah, I never realised yeah. raspberries grew in in the wood. You would see them in the woods. Yeah. Blackberries, obviously, you're very yeah. used to seeing those. But. So I've actually seen the chicken in the woods grow on the other side of this tree too. Great. On that side. Oh yeah. Then it also grew on that tree down there. So sometimes when mushrooms come out, when they flush, they also grow around them. So if you do see a patch of mushrooms, check the local area because sometimes all the trees around or the ground around will also be flushing too because conditions are, are met. Yeah. But maybe there's more than that. Maybe they, like plants, are, are communicating the times that they should be flushing. That's speculation. <laughs> So the one mushroom that in Sweden we call it um, the gold of the forest, it's a type of chanterelle. Um, yep. I think that's the English word and it's bright yellow and it's... Cantharellus. Cantharellus, yeah, and it's exquisite. <laughs> yes. But when you find one, then you're quite, there's quite a big chance that you will find others yeah. nearby, but you have to really <laughs> lift the leaves and everything to find, yeah, they, find them. Yeah, they tend to grow in like pine places with moss. Um, again, we've had a really dry summer Normally I'd be over in the local forest, St. Leonard's, and I'd be looking around there, but because of the lack of water we've had, I've not been over too much this year. Is there a season um, when it's, would you have a preferred season? No. Every single season there are mushrooms or fungi, but also there's lots of plants around. You just can't see the flowers necessarily. So for people to learn, it's easier to learn in the spring or summer to learn flowers and then in autumn definitely mushrooms but you won't find certain mush mushrooms or fungi in the in the in the autumn you'll find the rest of the year so are there more benefits from finding food that finding 
plants and fungi that have been foraged over those that are grown by farmers or ones that principally find in the supermarkets. Yes, for sure. Plants, when they've been cultivated, they've been cultivated so much that they last longer. So a lot of wild plants have alpha-leonic acid in them, which is the parent of omega-3, which is found in fish and other things, which is good for your brains and eyes and nerves. Um, also, wild plants have got a lot of the higher in antioxidants. Um, with mushrooms, uh, they're high, they've got high amounts of protein uh, and lower amounts of, ca- lower amounts of calories in them. They're also low in sodium. They've got lots of vitamins in them, vitamin D, um, which is good for uh, re- regulating calcium and phosphate. They also can decrease your cancer risk and they're also anti-tumor as well. Yeah. And I love mushrooms. You know, a fun, funny story. When I was a kid, I loved mushrooms so much. So that's what I was given for birthday gifts and Christmas. And you can eat them True every story. single meal every day. Yeah, I could. <laughs> really? No, maybe not. Excellent. This has been brilliant, James. We've learned so much. And uh, obviously you have shown us lots of things that we, you cannot see when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, but we will make sure to put photos and links and, um, yeah, get in touch with James if you feel that foraging might be for you. It's been fascinating. Thanks, James. And just a reminder how people can get in touch with you. So South East Foraging, and that's on Instagram at the moment. Possibly with a website on the way. Well, thanks so much. It's been great. And and we've avoided the rain. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for listening to Sounding Out Horsham. If you have feedback on this episode or would like to suggest future topics for us to cover or people for us to speak to, you can reach us on social media via Twitter at SO Horsham or Facebook. Just search for Sounding Out Horsham. Or you can email us at sohorsham at gmail.com. That's the letters sohorsham at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed listening and want to support what we do, we'd also love to get a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you're following us so you don't miss our next episode.